Pages of Pim Better Podcast. Greetings, Voyagers, and welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. This is episode number 149, closing in on 150. The date of recording is Friday, March 27th, and this is day 12 of quarantine here in New York, with no real signs of things getting better in the short term. So we're holed up here. So as I have been doing with My past episodes, this was an episode that was recorded remotely. And my guest for today is Kyler Melton. Kyler is a filmmaker and a photographer and an adventurer. Basically, as part of killing our time and trying to be productive and learn some things, uh, Les and I have been watching all of the 2019 Banff films, the films that tour for the Banff Film Festival, and we've been going down, you know, one by one. And we've seen some really incredible stuff. And we saw this 10, yeah, I think about 10-minute documentary called The Imaginary Line. And we loved it. And so I looked up who was the director for that, the filmmaker, and it was Kyler. So then I went online and I saw all sorts of amazing stuff that he's created, the films he's made, uh, the stories from the places that he's been. And I felt greatly inspired. So I reached out. And he said, hey, mate, (laughs) and he hopped on here. So this was really cool to have him on today to share some tidbits about his life, his his work, the places he's been, um, and, you know, what he's up to now. I had a really cool conversation with him, so I'm really, really glad to get to share his story and the stories that he's worked on with all of you, Voyagers. Please make sure you go to to the show notes for this episode and you check out all his, of his social media stuff and all of his work. You can go see The Imaginary Line for free on the internet right now. So you can pause right now and go watch it so you have some context for this episode. It's on YouTube. Uh, it's also on his website. I think we watched it through YouTube or Vimeo, probably YouTube. And uh, it's free. And it's really incredible. So go watch it before you listen to this episode. Um, if you are somebody who is fortunate enough in these times to be able to support some people doing some creative and artistic endeavors and you want to support this podcast, you can do so by going to Patreon. It's patreon.com slash the voyages of Tim Vetter. Honestly, though, there's a lot of people in the service industry and some wonderful people I've had on this podcast who work in restaurants and do uh, really wonderful things and are scared and are struggling. So support all those people before you ever support me. But if you do have some disposable income and you want to support this podcast, you can do so on Patreon. I do want to shout out a company today. They are not a paid sponsor, but they did send me their product. And I think it's appropriate because Carler talks a lot about some amazing places he's been and some of the adventures and the adventure sports and things he's been involved in, like slackline and snowboarding. And I've seen him take some incredible pictures of people mountaineering and kayaking and stuff. So uh, Vask, V-A-S-Q-U-E is the company, and they sent me these really amazing hiking boots. Unfortunately, right now, I can't hike anywhere. I was even like thinking, well, maybe I could take it out on the the Brooklyn Bridge or something like that, but need to be responsible right now. So right now I get to look at them and break them in and I'm itching, itching, itching to be able to get out there and hike and to be able to use these. So excited when I eventually can do that. 
But really sweet of them to send me these. Um, again, the company is Vask. I'll put a little something up on social media so you could see the boots and you could learn a little bit more about the company, although you've probably heard of them. They're a major player in the hiking boot game. And these things are great. They're waterproof, they're durable, really grippy on the bottom, and I think they look cool too. So thank you, Vask, for sending me these really, really cool boots. Appreciate you. You are a member of the Voyager family now. So folks, go online. I'll link to, to Vask also and uh, go check them out. Okay, everyone, without further ado, here is my conversation with Kyler. Enjoy it. I'm in uh, I'm in Williamsburg and like some of the parks and stuff people are still going to like they probably definitely shouldn't be going. Um, but, yeah. But it's uh, yeah, it's weird. Like we were we went out just to like grab some some food at the grocery before and we were just saying like how eerie it is. Um, oh yeah, dude. I can imagine a city that I've normally just dead right now. You're out in California. Uh yeah. Kinda, I'm I'm somewhere. I'm actually nowhere I am right now. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> I'm at a beach, but I, I I couldn't tell you the city that I'm closest to or anything like that. Whoa! So you're um, and I'm rolling if that if that's cool with you. Um, oh yeah, yeah, I'm chilling, man. Cool, cool. So you're living in a van? Yeah, I live in my van. It's a big old boy. Wow. Where are you from originally? Uh, kind of all over the West Coast. Family kind of grew up between California and Oregon and Washington and Idaho. Wow. So you're actually pretty fortunate because you could kind of come and go where a lot of people are stuck indoors right now. Yeah, yeah. It's conflicting, man. Honestly, like, I, I you know, I, I don't have a place to quarantine. I don't, I don't have like a physical house, which is kind of really conflicting right now because, you know, I, People have the advice from every single person is like stay inside to not transmit this disease. And it's kind of hard for me right now because I don't have a physical house and I have to move the van or else I'll get like, you know, knocked on, you know, basically. Yeah. Whoa. But, um, so, so it's kind of wild times to be a, a nomad in today's world where you know, we're being asked and being told that the best thing for the world is to stay inside and quarantine ourselves, you know, to isolate. Yeah. I mean, like today, so today hit like almost maybe 70 here. It was like 65 and we just went up to the roof and we were like, man, it's just nice to get some sun right now. So I am oh, kind of yeah. like, well, yeah, that is one of the best things about band lighting right now is I've been so isolated. I've just been like taking runs on the coast and like dirt, I mean, uh, mountain biking in like the redwoods. There's nobody around, you know, it's absolutely, I'm just like going to super desolate, isolated, isolated places, you know? Wow. Yeah, I'm a little bit jealous yeah. of that right now, man. <laughs> yeah, honestly, man. Oh, honestly, man. It's it's uh, yeah, it's conflicting right now. I've gotten some hate on the internet for not being in a home quarantining myself. Yeah, I mean, it's not like you're in crowds of people. Yeah, no. I mean, realistically, if you think about it, man, like if you go to the grocery store in a city you're seeing 10 times more people than I've seen in the last week, you know? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> so it's like, it's kind of a double-edged sword, you know? People, I think people are just upset because I'm trying to do my best here and nobody knows what they're doing, but I'm like out in nature, so it's kind of upsetting. 
Yeah, and there's there's also just the like we don't know when this is gonna end. And like Oh yeah, dude. Selfishly part of all this. Yeah, I'm like, I wanna be out in nature too. Like Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, but you're from New York, hey. That's that's like the other side of things. That's wild. Yeah, man. Um and it's real, real bad here with all the cases like every yeah, it's day. Ground zero, man. Yeah. It's like exponential every day. It's just more and more and more people. It's scary, but yeah, we're we're maintaining. Um, That's wild. Yeah, That's so, I actually came to New York for the first time last year. Really, for the first time? Yeah, it was. I was the the people who composed the music for my film this last year. They they're in New York, and I uh, I came to record the soundtrack with them. All right, I've got that. Okay, cool, cool. So that's a perfect transition because I've got that in my in my little notes here. Um, that's so this is really cool. Like, it's awesome to talk to you. Since we've been in quarantine, I've been making my way through all of the the Banff documentaries. So my part, <laughs> yeah, dude, awesome. Yeah, so Those like good ones, man. Really good ones. Um, so my partner Leslie and I, we've uh, like when we sit down to go to bed at night, we'll, we'll watch like three or four of them before we knock out. And we yeah, what's been some of your favorites? Oh, uh, we really loved yours. Um, Oh gosh, uh, Les, what was the one with uh, the girl from France in the kayak? What was that? Was that Lotse? Oh yeah, I know, I know. What was that one, Carla? The Red Bull one. Yeah, yeah, she was. I've actually been in contact with her too. That was fascinating. Um, Yeah, that's awesome. I was actually sitting next to hers when hers played. Oh, cool. Well, I mean, first of all, congrats because that's a that's a really cool honor to get like picked up by them and to kind of I would you know what would be hitting the circuit right now. Um, oh man, yeah, it's been surreal. Like the Banff World Tour has just been so unreal. Just so many places and venues, and obviously it's on a bit of a lull right now with the world. But uh, yes, it's an honor, man, more than an honor. Well, I'll tell people like at th- whoever's listening at this point, like pause if you're home and you're on quarantine, pause. Uh, go to the show notes for the episode and they'll find your website because it's streaming for free on your website. Yeah, it's it's actually already on YouTube, so you can just go straight there too. Awesome. Uh, yeah, so it's called The Imaginary Line. For people who haven't seen it, do you mind giving like like a real brief synopsis of what it's about? Yeah, well, I'd love to hear it from your perspective first. Oh yeah, sure, cool. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, um, when obviously because things are so crazy right now with Corona and everything, at one point we're watching it and like Leslie looks over at me and she's like, Oh yeah, there was also like a really serious government shutdown <laughs> over this border <laughs> it's issue. Been a wild couple of years, man. <laughs> yeah. And we're like not even thinking about the fact that there's still people being detained. Um, but yeah, so essentially it's um, I don't know what you like what you technically call um, like walking the tight. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so it was uh, a group from the U.S. and then a group from Mexico walking across to show to sort of show that the the border between the United States and Mexico is quite arbitrary. Um, and along the way, also I thought was really cool was just like the camaraderie of the folks who came from the Mexican side and the people in the film who came from the U.S. side. How they were like it's it's an incredible feat to like literally dangling over the Rio Grande, like really giving me anxiety while I'm watching it. But um, yeah, sort of like showing that this border is arbitrary and and we're all humans and uh, you know this is it's uh, yeah man you summed it up as good as I can. <laughs> cool, cool. Uh, yeah, to basically like add on to that, you know the 
the film is, is basically a story of these two groups of people coming together and creating like a bridge between the two countries, creating a, a symbol more than anything of walking between the two lands that we, we perceive in our minds. And it's, it's true that we, there are different countries and there's definitely regulations and difference in governments and policies and all of that. But in reality, you know, it's, it's the hope of the story is to show of these two people coming together and that, you know, in, in the end, it's, we, we are all made of the same, made of the same stuff. You know, we're all humans and that we can have these, this, these, these fights, you know, about border and all these policies. And obviously it's heavy, it's a heavy subject, but we wanted to come together and kind of tell a story about it, about people coming together and kind of shed some light on some dark, dark times. So the mission itself was a, a group of Americans and a group of Mexicans, uh, North Americans, like a U.S. people from the U.S. Uh, coming together, and we met uh, at the border down in Texas or in Chihuahua, and uh, we met at the border, and then we paddled uh, 20 miles down river together, uh, and they were in their boats, we in our boats, and we paddled, and we came to this point where we uh, wanted to rig a high line, which is. For those of you who don't know what a high line is, it's basically like a, a slack line that's hundreds of feet up in the air. And we rigged a slack line between the U.S. and Mexico. So one side was the U.S., one side was Mexico. And each team rigged their, their, their respective sides. And it, it, in that way, too, is it's a symbol of trust between the two people. You know, it's we're trusting them to rig their side and they're trusting us to rig our side. And it's, it's that balance of trust of giving each other that trust and trust with our lives, metaphorically and physically and metaphorically, you know? Yeah. That's really cool. Um, did, so like, what was the, the genesis of this? Did they reach out to you as a filmmaker and say like, Hey, would you be interested? Or did you know those guys already? Yeah. So I, uh, yeah, I'm, I highline and I'm, I'm in the highlighting community and, it's such a beautiful and power commu- powerful community that's all across the world. Um, but I've, I've worked on some highlighting projects before um, uh, for, you know, big jobs and also just for fun. And I love highlighting. It's, it's wild. Um, but Corbin, uh, the main character of the film, uh, he, he's a good friend of mine and he's been a good friend of mine for some years now, but uh, he, he called me one day and this was during the government shutdown last January. And, uh, He's like, bro, I have, I have an idea. And I don't know if it's possible, but I want to, I, yeah, I want to try. And, uh, he told me, I want to, I want to rig a high line between the U S and Mexico. Right. And for like 30 seconds, my mind just paused and was running through the significance of what that meant during a shutdown, a government shutdown that was, that was began because of the crisis at this border began because of the policies and all of the heavy, heavy things happening at this border. And he was like, I, I don't think it's possible right now with the state of the world, but I want to achieve it within the next couple of years. And I wanted to know if you wanted to be a part. And I, I, I put down the phone for a second. I was like, what? And I was like, bro, you have to be at my house tomorrow and yeah. we have to leave right now. Oh, that's awesome. So it was kind of a wild like madness of like, he came to my house like the next day and then, or not the next day, it was a couple of days later. And then during that whole time, we were trying to figure out where we could actually rig the high line. And at the same time, assembling our team on the U S side. And then the same time assembling the team on the Mexico side. 
and it was wild, man. Just like the chaos of, of all, uh, you know? So you, you with the whole team, like you like paddled down the Rio Grande and everything. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Like there's a really, uh, kind of like tender, but funny moment where like the, the guys from the Mexican side have like sort of like these like pool rafts that they're looking oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's kind of interesting that cause I had this vision of like these two teams coming together and it being like this beautiful cinematic kind of moment. Right. <laughs> and, uh, when the boys showed up, they, they, they pull out these rafts and, uh, we were in these really nice canoes, right. That we'd found like at a rental place, like 10 minutes away. Right. And they brought these rafts and they were literally <laughs> like pumping up these Walmart rafts that you would take on like a, a like a casual float, like a half mile float. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, they were about to go through, like thirty miles down river. It was like you know some like heavy you know heavier conditions, you know. And it was like it was it, I I felt conflicted because I wanted this super beautiful cinematic sequence. So I actually didn't film uh, the beginning parts of that because I felt bad. I felt like it was a, it kind of showed the discrepancy between our two lands and our two cultures, and I I oh. kind of felt bad about it as like a creative, right? Yeah, that's interesting. But then um. They had so much energy and so much good vibes, and they were so excited about their boats, you know? They were so excited to be on a river, and none of them had actually even ever paddled down a river before. Wow. So it was kind of funny, and, like, just the energy that they held, you know, like, with, you know, with having these boats that were not designed to go further than, like, a backyard, basically. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they were, like, they named their boats the Titanic, and they named their boats the Black Pearl. (laughs) And just like the Titanic because it was always sinking, you know? And uh, so it was a beautiful, it kind of, it was just such a beautiful to see how positive they were about that whole situation. Yeah. And like, like that's exactly what we felt. We came away from it like, wow, this was a beautiful, like a really beautiful film and like really touching. And I wonder oh, like. Man, that, that means the world. I, I know you, I, or I don't know you, so <laughs> like we just met, but. I would imagine like when you're making a film, you're not thinking of like critical review. Um, even though you have some like really high profile clients that you've made um, films for, but like once you make something like this, do you think like, wow, I've got something here when you wrap it up? Yeah. I'm, I'm telling you that the second Corbin told me the idea, I was like, this is powerful. This needs to happen right now. Yeah. I was like, we're going right now. Cool. There's like no question, you know, nothing could stop us at that point. Once like, once an idea like becomes physical, it like becomes real, you know? Yeah. That's amazing, man. And, um, yeah, so we're watching it yeah, keep going. and I'm like, I'm nudging Leslie and I'm like, Hey, I think this is city of the sun. And, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. like the very first day of shutdown in New York was February 13th. And they were supposed to play at, um, Hey, am I on a, am I on speaker on your end? No, you're on my, uh, my headphone. Okay. I, I, I hear like my own feedback, but I'll try to, I'll speak softer. Um, yeah, we had tickets to go see them that the very first day that everything shut down. So it shut down and we were like, ah, shit. Um, oh, no way. yeah. So then, I'm watching your film. I'm like, wow, that's really cool. And then we see the credits and we're like, yeah, it was city of the sun. And then I was checking out your social media and I see like them playing in the desert. Like, did, did you film a music video for them or something? Yeah, man. So it's kind of funny actually, the story of how I found them. 
because uh, we had just gotten back from the project and it was like 3 a.m. and we were all driving back to, to Oregon and it's like a 35 hour drive and I, and I was driving at like 3 a.m. and I was, you know, just zoning out and my, my, I, my music was on shuffle and uh, this music comes on and it's, I'm just like, start like jamming and like vibing to it and I'm like feeling it so much, right? And then um, I like stop the car because I'm so excited about the music, right? I like wake up the homie who's beside me. And I'm like, dude, can you drive for like a while? And uh, I, I pull out my laptop and I, I torrent that. So I like stream it from the internet and uh, I put it over like the edit that I'd made so far. Just like the really simple kind of drone shot that I had dialed. And uh, immediately I was like, man, this feels so right, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, messaged, I messaged the boys uh, that night at like three or four. Uh, and they got back to me in the morning and were like, Hey man, that sounds like a wild idea. We'd love to hear more about it. And, uh, it kind of started out as like, Hey man, yeah, you can use our music. And then I was like, later in the editing process, I was like, you guys, like, we need to create something bigger here. Like, I would love to come out to New York and like compose an original soundtrack with you guys. Wow. So I flew out and we spent like 72 hours in a tiny, tiny dark room and, uh, and in Brooklyn it was in the Williamsburg I think and uh yeah that's where I am yeah wow yeah and uh yeah and then they created the the soundtrack for the piece wow that's amazing I didn't even realize so that's all original for the for the movie yeah well they pulled from parts from different songs and different intros because I don't cool. like use them as like kind of the temp soundtrack and uh they just fit so right so they, they played yeah we just basically recorded like the entire soundtrack in that time though wow there's um, an artist I was exposed to while traveling. I, I spent some time in Sri Lanka and I met this guy, Callum, who I had on the podcast and he's a photographer. He takes really cool pictures and he was playing me like a bunch of stuff from England because he's British and he played me... Is he uh, Snape? What's that? Is his last name Snape? Uh, no, it's it's Thompson. Oh, okay, okay. But um, he introduced me to, to Dermot Kennedy and then I'm looking at oh, your yeah, your YouTube page. Did did you film that video where he's out in the snow singing? Yeah, that was so wild, man. Wow. So I got I, there's a my buddy. He uh, he has this dog called Loki the Wolf Dog, and Loki's kind of like this famous dog. And uh, Dermot actually reached out. They they've been talking for a while, and Dermot wanted to come like play with Loki in the mountains. So we. I came out to Colorado for like a week and uh, we were filming this like super simple kind of edit with Loki and just the boys kind of exploring around. And uh, I remember the first, when Kelly, my, the, my Kelly, he called me and he's like, Hey man, like I want to do this project with Dermot. The only thing I could think about was like a pure acapella of Dermot. And for those of you who don't know Dermot, he has a voice that it, it, it speaks beyond like words. Like it's so powerful and real and raw. And so, yeah, my first thought was like, I want to do a pure acapella of him in the mountains. And, uh, it was funny cause I like threw out the idea to him and he was like, yeah, that sounds sick. You know, he said it in a very Irish way where he's like, yeah, that's deadly night. And, uh, <laughs> we, uh, we like went out there, man. I was like, all right, can we do like the first 15 seconds just to kind of feel it out? You know, do like the intro part of the song. And all of a sudden, he was in it, man. And there was no stopping. He, he just like, oh, dude, it was unreal. The craziest part that you could almost kind of feel in the video is that there's a, there was like a, an echo in the mountaintops when he would like go 
full in and it, it was so beautiful and just me and him dancing in the snow kind of playing with this this powerful moment it was it was probably the most powerful sonic moment of my life wow i mean so i have so much stuff in my notes here that i haven't even touched on yet but i have to ask you something i've asked pretty much like everybody i've had on here um because i also saw you wrote something once that you have a fear of um, I probably what everyone has of, of like not fulfilling everything that they have uh, set out in their mind or their, their goals or, or what they think of as like a full life, right? By the time yeah, they pass. You went deep, hey, on that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a while back. Well, <laughs> this is what I do. Um, but do you ever step back, like even hearing about the, what I've heard so far over 20 minutes, I'm just like, whoa. Like, do you ever step back and think, like, I'm really fortunate? Dude, it, it has been the most unreal like journey so far. And yeah. it's, I feel beyond fortunate to be able to like do what I love, you know, and create and tell stories and be a part of this wild world. But, you know, the, the artist inside you, the creator inside you longs to create, you know, and it's, it's, it, I, I found uh, like trying to find that balance, the feeling happy, you know, and, you know, feeling good at where you've been is challenging for me. Cause I just feel this like the burning, burning fire that, you know, to continue to grow and expand and tell more meaningful stories, bigger stories, chase crazier ideas, you know? Yeah. I love that. Um, so it's an interesting balance. Uh, you know, there's some places that you've been that, so I'm going to ask broadly, like, what did you do? Right. So basically like, uh, Tell me about your experiences there and tell me about the maybe the project you were working on. Um, I don't think I've ever had anyone talk about Madagascar, and I, I believe you went there to do something. So wh- what yeah, was that about? Dude, Matt is unreal, man. Uh, we, I, was there, I was there on this tree planting assignment, and we were kind of documenting these different tree planters all across the country, and it, it was it's probably one of the most raw places I've ever been. It's, it, it's, it was kind of wild because... We, we were like accessing these super untouched uh, communities that were tree planting for this company, Tentree. And they, uh, the only way to get to these villages, so like one of the villages we went into, uh, it was a 14 day walk and there was no road there. Whoa. So the only way that we could really access it in the timeline we had was by helicopter. So we spent like uh, two weeks basically flying around all of Madagascar, going to different villages and just spending time with the people. And I mean, I can barely begin to tell you the beauty of these places, man. Like, it's funny. Like we, we had a bunch of like formal meetings and like all this stuff to do. And I would always like be by myself, like hanging out with the people and like hanging out with the kids playing soccer and just kind of trying to find those real moments. And more than anything, man, I just want to play with these people and just like their, just the genuine beauty that they have. It's, it was, it was powerful, man. Did you make a, a short film there or anything? Yeah, it's was, it was super simple. We just did like a basically like, uh, one minute piece about the the tree plant, the villages out there. Oh, cool! Is is that on YouTube? Yeah, it is. But um, yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, man. Oh, this. Uh, yeah, I almost like tearing up, but thinking back about those memories, man. Madagascar was so beautiful. I've been a part of a lot of cool tree planting like all across the world, but Mad Mad holds a special place in my heart. Wow. That's awesome. yeah, I was kind of gnarly too. At the end there, after everyone left, I, w- I was on my own. And uh, 
I was kind of hanging out for the next couple of weeks. I didn't really have a timeline and uh, I was on this beach and uh, I was like editing the, the, the film we were working on. And, uh, I got uh, bit by a spy spider Whoa. and it bit me like three places on my leg. And, uh, I woke up the next day and I was a zombie man. And I was like wandering around this tiny little village as if I'd like been heavily drugged. And, uh, for four days, dude, I was sleeping 20 hours a day, kind of like in this zombie like state trying to figure out what was real and how to feed myself. And it was, it was savage, man. No one like, you didn't go to a doctor or anything? Dude, I didn't know what was happening. I was literally just like passing out on the floor in restaurants. Whoa, you were poisoned. <laughs> yeah, man, it was, it was a spider and it was so savage. And dude, speaking of wild, what we, I mean, speaking of crazy wildlife, we, we went to this cave in Madagascar um, that had uh, fossils of lemurs that were the size of gorillas. Wow. Which I thought was pretty wild. And we actually, uh, it was so crazy. The cave system was so massive. And we were with this like local guide who was just like jumping through the craziest. And then he actually showed us this like underwater river that had this uh, wooden canoe that had been carved out of a tree. And I, I took the canoe and like paddled down it as far as I could. And then I got back and he's like, you know, there's crocodiles in there. It was kind of trippy. He might've just been messing with me, but well, I mean, I wouldn't doubt it, man. It's, it's Africa. It's in the South of Africa. Wow. Yeah, man. It was wild. Mad, yeah. Mad was, it's always beautiful, man. Uh, one of my favorite places in the world is Indonesia. And, um, even from men, like even just like the, uh, the sort of compilation short video you have is like your email signature. I was watching that and I'm like, damn, like even this is making me feel like I got to get back out there. But I, I, yeah, dude, Indo is magic. Oh, I love it. And and I noticed, I mean, it's, it's like, a, I guess like a touristy destination, but like you have the swing in there either from like Lombok or Bali. But then I saw you also went to Raja Ampat and you did some stuff for wonderful Indonesia. So I'm wondering like, uh, what that project was and maybe some of your experiences there. Yeah, man. Well, in, in the Indonesia holds a very special place to me because it's actually the place where I kind of like found meaning through photography, Oh, cool. which is uh, kind of going back a little bit, but I was, I was kind of just dirtbagging around and exploring the world and traveling and kind of working my way to like travel. And, uh, I, while doing that time, like six years ago, I had my, my mom's old point and shoot camera. And I was just taking these really bad photos. I mean, like horrible photos. And uh, then uh, there was this there was this trek that I, I did. I, I summited Mount Rinjani, which is the second highest volcano yeah, in yeah. Indonesia. It's on Lombok. And uh, I remember I was standing up there, and I was freezing. I was like, it was like still dark, and I was by myself, freezing up there, and I was cuddled in a ball. And then I saw this character come out from the the corner. And I like stood up and I like fumbled with my camera and I, I didn't know how to shoot photos and I hoped the settings were at the right place. And I, I took this picture and I remember um, they were standing out on this ledge and I remember this picture so vividly because I looked down at this picture and then I looked up and I looked down and I looked up and it was in that moment that I realized how powerful photography could be and how, you know, like capturing these moments can mean so much and be so beautiful and beyond anything I'm ever able to communicate in words. Wow. And, uh, it was actually kind of crazy because after that I started using the camera a lot. And like, I had another like two months in Indonesia and I like made this 
really horrible video that I, I don't ever show anybody, but uh, somehow that video went viral and it was picked up uh, in the Indonesia and it was picked up by the tourism board there. And they were actually like my first big client. They were my first like international tourism board. So they, they've always been like really awesome for me. They've always been like stoked on the ideas and stoked to be a part. I've done like five or six projects with them now traveling all across the country and hoping to, sh- you know, share the beauty of this, this beautiful place. Yeah. That's amazing. Like I, my travels are definitely not as extensive as yours, but you know, I work in schools and stuff and, and whenever kids hear about that, I travel a lot or if I'm talking to friends and stuff and they say like, well, what's, what's, what's the best country, right? Like, and how do you even answer that? But I always say, ah, oh, Indonesia, because there's just, there's such diversity of landscape and people and cultures and food. And like, it's, it's an incredible place. Yeah. And it's wild. The Indian has more than 17,000 islands. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I think I've counted mine and I think I've been to like 40 or something or maybe 50 now. Wow. That's a but lot. Some of those days, like it's, uh, you know, you go to like seven in a day, you know, cause like in Raja Ampat, but you can easily go from Island. You can swim from Island to Island. Um, but, uh, yeah, dude, it's, it, the diversity is wild, man. From like, you know, the most beautiful rice terraces of like Ubud and Bali. And then you get like, volcanoes and like, you know, super gnarly epic mountains and, you know, all these different regions and the most magical waterfalls you can imagine. I, um, yeah, it's so diverse and there's so much beauty. I actually like the thing that I always walk away from with like traveling to like more remote places is always like the characters for me is always connecting with the people out there. And it's funny, man, because we'll be on these super epic like tourism shoots and there'll be like a beautiful girl that's there with us. And we're like in the most beautiful zone. And then I'll be like on this like tiny fishing boat with this old dude taking pictures of him. You know? <laughs> it's so, so funny because those are the moments I love more than anything. Yeah. There's a place, I don't know for sure that you've been there. Um, but I, I did six months in Asia in, 20, in 2018, right? What is this? Yeah. And... Um, I tried to get to Bhutan, which I didn't get to, and I tried to get to Nepal, but I thought I saw like in your like compilation video, like the sort of like ubiquitous image that people would think of like uh, all the different colored flags that you see in Nepal. Did you do a project there? Oh yeah, I do. Uh, yeah, so I've done a couple projects in Nepal. Wow. And um, yeah, Nepal, Nepal is beautiful, man. One of my favorite portrait I've actually ever taken is from Nepal. You have to watch it, dude. It's uh, it's actually at the end of my reel. It's oh, cool. this old dude. And uh, it was on another tree planting assignment. And he uh, he's just breaking out in laughter. And just his sheer joy and happiness is in his laughter, man. And you can feel it. And I'm crying thinking about it, dude. It's so beautiful. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> what what? So was that um, just a tree planting assignment? Or did you have a film for there, too? No, no, I mean, I, I, oh, yeah, I'm filming the tree planting. That's what I mean by tree planting. Ah, got you, got you, cool. Oh, man. So, like, even, um, I was getting hyped up. I think it was, I think it's called Go See, maybe, that you were filming for. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I, I mean, often, I think sometimes people, people from the States forget, like, how unbelievably beautiful things are here. And I'm watching that video and I'm like seeing like there I'm seeing um, like bear's ears and horseshoe bend. And I forget the lake right by Horseshoe Bend, but it looks like uh you were filming at the lake there too. And 
I just think like you've been all over the states due to the national parks and like you're so fortunate to be able to tell stories from there. Oh, I mean, for sure, man. It's the, honestly, like for me, the West coast of the U S and like West coast, meaning all the way to Utah is some of the most diverse, beautiful lands. Cause you have like the Martian landscapes of Utah and then you have like the coastal beauty, like of Oregon and the cliffs and, you have like the beautiful, like the redwoods, uh, just that are hundreds and hundreds of years old, and just the most beautiful landscapes all across here, man. It's 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 so easy to forget that we live in such a beautiful place, you know? Oh yeah, for sure. One of my one of my buddies, Travis Travis Burke, he actually it's funny because I, I we I mean we met at very pivotal times, and both of us were kind of traveling around, like trying to figure out what we were doing with our lives, and. Uh, Travis was like almost exclusively cruising in his van around North America. And he spent so much time just documenting the, the wildest kind of landscapes that he could find. And he, uh, he was always a big inspiration and a good friend, but, uh, it's kind of wild to, you know, to, to remember that we live in such a beautiful place. Yeah, man. Um, well, like, what do you think it was that sort of, um, because, you know, I see you, God, you're, you're like social media feeds obviously are not like a hundred percent representation of someone's life. But when I look at yours, I'm um, like, you're up in the Canadian Rockies, you're in all the national parks, like snowboarding, um, walking the slack line. What do you think it was? Or like, was there an experience early in life that got you really interested in like the outdoors and the, I don't know if you want to call it like action sports and stuff like that, but I, I think you get what I'm saying. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, my, my father is a bear of a wild man. Oh. So, <laughs> as a kid, like I grew up, uh, just in the backyard of, you know, where we were living, just going on adventures. And if that meant, you know, climbing trees or building forts, or if that meant, uh, you know, swimming and building rope swings or whatever it was, it was kind of just like uh, what we did, you know, there wasn't an option, you know, we would just like go on adventures and that, that kind of, built it into my mindset and the way I kind of, you know, approached things. And he always kind of pushed me to, you know, expand my abilities. And that kind of led me to pursuing these kind of crazy or kind of more adrenaline kind of based sports and ideas, you know? Yeah. That's awesome, man. Like I know you yeah. were, you said you were like bumming around, um, Indonesia, but prior to all this, did you have sort of like the traditional type of job at any point? I mean, I'm really lucky, you know, like, I think, you know, people take that for granted sometimes. It's like how lucky we are to live in today's world of, you know, where, you know, we're able to do this. I'm able to do this. Like if you looked a hundred years ago, you know, there's, there's not, it's the same amount of options. Yeah. But, um, I always had really supportive parents and I think a skill that a lot of people, uh, forget about and is very crucial is just learning how to be broke, you know, and to travel with nothing and not knees things, you know, and that oftentimes can help, you know, like it's like, cause I lived in New Zealand for like six months as well, kind of just skydiving and exploring and mountain biking and going on all the adventures I could find. But like, you know, you just have to learn to, to travel on nothing and to be okay with not having the fanciest of things or material possessions in, in the quest for, you know, a different kind of lifestyle. Yeah, you're speaking my language. Uh, I mean, you don't know this about me, but I'll be brief about this. Essentially, I had worked for a number of years in a school. I was an assistant principal. Um, I never had a lot of stuff, but like, you know, I had my own apartment and everything. And 
like in terms of career trajectory, I had hit sort of like what people would see as like the end of the line, you know, like an administrative position, like most people would want that because they think of the, the, the pay or whatever, the prestige or whatever that goes with it. And I was just like, no, like I don't want this anymore. I have to hit the road. And that's when I went to Asia. But like I literally got rid of everything to the point where I gave up some things on offer up, but then the rest of it, I just put in front of the curb and like watched as people in the neighborhood like flock to all this free stuff. And <laughs> that's awesome, man. The feeling- yeah. Oh yeah. I forgot you even asked about the job, dude. Um, to be straight, I, I haven't really had a job to be honest, you know, like a real like nine to five job. I, I've done random bits and pieces, you know, kind of like in high school, I would like do a lot of like random work, you know, like at, at farms or friends houses or whatever. I, the most like real job I've ever had was like packing skydiving parachutes in New Zealand though, wow. um, which was not a real job, but I, I like worked, you know, most days, um, other than skydiving. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of conflicting then because I, I feel like if you, obviously this is coming from a very like, you know, privileged place where I can, I can pursue my dreams and chase this. But like, if you give yourself the option to have an easier route, it's, it's really, it's easy to go back and fall back on that, you know? Yeah. And knowing myself, I, I know that, I, that I'm, that's true for me as well, that like I can pretty easily fall back on anything else. You know, like if, if I have a stable job that pays 20 bucks an hour or whatever, you know, it's, it's like pretty easy to come back to that. So I made a very conscious decision not to have a fallback, not to have a plan in that sense. And if I failed, then I had no idea what I was going to do, which kind of put this, more intense pressure on me. Um, I like that. And though. honestly, like that's not for everyone. Like not everyone has that choice or that option. You know, some people have bigger responsibilities that, you know, I don't have, but, uh, yeah, that's kind of like what I found kind of in that between phase when I was just beginning. You were mentioning skydiving and I saw that you had some, some photos of some folks jumping off of a, like a mountain in those like squirrel suits. Have you ever done that? Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I've never squirrel suited. I, I, I never got that far. I kind of, I was super broke dude when I was like packing parachutes. Uh, I was just like jumping as much as I could, but uh, that's like years. That's like, you know, you have to have like more than 200 jumps to even put one of those things on. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That, that looks honestly terrifying. Like <laughs> I get anxiety just seeing that. Yeah. Um, you know, like there's, we're talking about these amazing, beautiful settings and places. And just just being there doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be a good storyteller. Um, but the what I've seen of your work, I've, I've really, really loved. And I see that like when you write things, you write really well too. So I'm wondering if like maybe earlier in life or maybe even up till, till now, like what are the artistic things that have influenced you that you think you can point to to say like, well, that helped me to become a good storyteller? Hmm. That's a good question. You know, I remember as a kid with my dad being super broke and sneaking into movie theaters all the time and just watching like three movies in a row. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we, we would just like geek out on all the movies. I remember like I watched fight club when I was like, like nine or so. And, uh, me and my dad had like a three hour conversation afterwards, kind of exploring like what the story was about. And like being a nine year old kid, maybe I was too young to watch it, but he kind of, uh, instilled in me this love for, for film, this love for narrative storytelling, you know? Yeah. That's awesome. And, and that was kind of like subliminal in like a young kind of conscious way. 
But I mean, like I said, with the the Indonesia moment on top of the volcano, I I kind of only blossom into storytelling like later. It's funny because like in high school, like there was film classes and uh, photography opportunities, but I never really took them. I didn't really see them because it kind of seemed lame. You know, they were just like making music videos of like, (laughs) you know, emo girls, you know, playing guitar. And uh, I don't know, man, what really blossomed it for me was kind of like seeing the adventure side of storytelling and kind of the things that I cared about and the stories that I can more connected with, you know, and then kind of just tuning into those stories. And I probably watch, I watch so so many films now, dude. I I watch films almost on a daily basis where I'm like constantly like rewatching films. And I take a lot of inspiration from like that world of narrative storytelling. Yeah, no, that, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And I've seen, you know, you've worked, you've done work for like, you've got Red Bull, uh, Google some huge, uh, massive clients, right? I guess you would call them a client. Did, did, did the, like the Banff circuit being on that festival, did that help your exposure? It's been a while, dude. Like the, the Banff is like something like 190 countries or something like that. Yeah. I don't remember. But, um, it's been really cool just cause like the amount of people that are seeing these stories and just connecting with them is next level. So that's, it's been really cool because I've, I've never had a film on the BAMP circuit before any other circuit like that. So it's been really cool to share one that just means so much to me, you know? Yeah. And I mean, uh, I don't know when it was going to be, I, I feel like it's usually in March in New York. So obviously everything's shut down now. Um, but I went two years ago, I think. Yeah. Before I left and it was like, it was it was such a cool experience. So it's awesome to now to like get to catch up on all the ones that I haven't seen. Um, yeah, man, for sure. It's so awesome. Like one of my favorite things in the world is like sharing stories with people, you know, and being in a theater with a bunch of stoked individuals who are clapping and screaming and yelling at like moments. It's powerful. It's really beautiful. Oh, for sure. I mean, I don't know the feeling, but I would, (laughs) I would imagine. So, um, like yeah, so, uh, even, dude, like even like last, it's so cool, like being able to connect with people who love, you know, the stories that you're telling and want to be a part of them. Like even last night, I like went live uh, on Instagram from where I'm like quarantining in the van. Oh, and cool! This dude was like, "Yo, dude, I'm down the beach for you right now," and he was like, "I'm in, I'm in the zone," <laughs> and uh, I was like, "No way!" Like we we talked for a minute on the on the Instagram live, and it's so cool to connect with people and like, you know, just people who you know want to hear more and care about these stories in that way. That's amazing. Like that's, and that, I mean, maybe you'd agree. It sounds like it, but like, that's the best part of traveling to me too. It's just those connections. And, um, yeah, man. I mean, I think that's really cool. Like you're really fortunate and I, I, I love the stories that you share. I'm wondering if there's a, I mean, the whole world is shut down right now, but is there a project you're in the middle of, or do you have something on the, on the drawing board or in your mind? You know, it's it's, uh, peeking into the side, the mind of a creative is such a tumultuous place, isn't it? (laughs) It, uh, It's a conflicting place right now with the the chaos of the world. You know, it seems like as far as like jobs and projects go and the whole world is just shutting down and people are out of work and there's a a lot of chaos right now. And I I wonder if there's stories around it. I, I haven't began to like, you know, really give it a... I've been thinking about some ideas that could be a story around this, but it's all, it's all kind of unraveling and kind of uh honest, like kind of scary from a media perspective, you know, and like 
the the media is filled with so much fear and is painting this picture of dark times. But uh, it's been kind of beautiful, actually, because I've kind of seen the opposite side of that in like the way that it's bringing humanity together. You know, while it's heavy and there's a lot of death and stuff, but it's it's been so cool just to see you know connect with friends on FaceTime and the, the from the depths of quarantine, just connecting with a lot of people and a lot of family and seeing like the crazy things like the, the carbon emissions and like the CO2 emissions that are so low right now all across the world. And, you know, the canals of Venice having fish come back to them and crystal clear waters in a matter of like a week, you know? Yeah. It, so. I mean, not that my little podcast here is, is doing any real change in the world, but that's sort of my hope too. So like I've been reaching out a lot of, to a lot of people from the festival and a lot of people who are into you know, careers and, and filmmaking in the outdoors. Like I've been chatting a bit with that, with, with Greg, he had the documentary electric Greg and that's my hope too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I met that dude. Ah, cool. I mean, so, so that's my hope is that maybe some people will get inspired and like once things do open up again, have a, have a greater appreciation for like the outdoors and their time and their life. And like, Hmm, maybe, you know, people are quite fortunate to have a job now, but um, you know, for people who are stuck working from home, able to think, ah, maybe I'll rethink what I'm doing. If, you know, if I could, if, if there's positivity that comes out of this after we're all released back into the wild, it's my hope that, you know, the guests I've been having on like yourself and the people I've had in the past, you know, two weeks, uh, are able to inspire people to get back out there and maybe live a little more, uh, of a passionate existence, you know? I sure hope so, man. I, I know that it's chaos and so many heavy things are happening around the world, but it, if, you, if you look at it in the, the right way, it can be a symbol for light and an opportunity to kind of think about things differently and open up and perceive just differently. Yeah. I, I have something here in my notes to ask. So um, sometimes like the stories that people find the best when I tell stories of my travel are always from things that were like an absolute nightmare to live in the moment. And so I'll <laughs> yeah. be like super brief about this one, but I, I've traveled a bunch with my friend Kevin and he's an older guy and he's traveled a lot in his life. And I, like, I can always hear his laugh at my misfortune because I've got a lot of stomach problems and he's seen me and like nursed me back to health in like all corners of the globe as I'm like, you know, as it's coming out of both ends and I'm curled up in a ball like in uh, in a toilet in Vietnam somewhere. But um, I'm thinking like I, I have a whole podcast about it, but the short of it is that in a single night in the Philippines, I ate balut out of a cooler on the roadside and then we ate Jollibee and we got satay at like a local bar. And for the next two days, I'm just like spewing, like just curled up in a ball. And I had to take a 12-hour bus because I wanted to go up into the mountains to get tattooed by this by this lady that did these traditional tattoos and, and there's no toilet on the bus. So I'm just like crying and clenching and just like fever sweating and it's a nightmare. But like one, now that I survived that situation, like it's a great story to tell people. I feel like, no, you, sure. I feel like you must have some of those. So like when I say that, does any of your experiences first come to mind where you're like, okay, that's one of mine. That was a nightmare, but like is a good story. I mean, I think those make the best stories, you know, when you kind of, it's the worst thing ever in the moment. But when you look back on it, you look back on it with a smile of, you know, joy. Do you know? What do you think? Yeah, no, for sure. Like I'm wondering in, in your vast wealth of experiences, if there's something that maybe a terrible experience 
that then turns into a great story. Mm, yeah, for sure. So I think when you're, you know, oftentimes the world can like come down on you in so many ways and it can feel daunting. You know, I, I've had so many experiences like out and in wild and the nature when you're like, what the, what is happening? <laughs> it's just like torrential rain or gnarly conditions. And there was a, there was one particular moment that was super, it was just gnarly. We were super gnarly that turned into the most beautiful moment I've ever experienced. And it, uh, we, um, we were on this volcano, uh, climbing this volcano in Indonesia and it was raining on us for three days straight. Right. And we were like soggy, moist, struggling. Right. And, we we were kind of uh, making our way, trying to make our way to the volcano. We were kind of questioning if we were going to summit because it was like we're just going to get up there and it's going to be gnarly and windy and icy and just going to get you know shut down. But um, on the third day of this, we we just gone through like a seven hour day of getting hit hit by rain, and uh, we like were in the tents, kind of hiding away, getting ready for the night. And all of a sudden, like the rain kind of came to a pitter patter stop, and uh, I like, I pause for a moment and think, I like look around and I'm, I'm looking inside the tent and I like go open the zipper of the tent. And at the same time, uh, I was with this girl named Chelsea Yamase and, uh, and she, she like pokes her head outside of the tent at the same time. And we look at each other, we look back, we look at each other, we look back and we run, we sprint out because we were camping on this, this lakeside. Uh, and it had turned this volcanic, like ash had turned all of the lakeside completely white. So you could only see like 10 feet in front of you and the lake in front of us was white. Whoa. And she started, she started dancing and she started like walking out into the water and dancing at the same time. And it became one of the most beautiful, beautiful moments I've ever been able to capture or experience. That's incredible. So it had been like spewing ash, I guess. No, so like just the just the volcano kind of forever kind of like silently kind of erupting and smoking. Okay. And those kind of conditions had caused this when this just this brief brief pause in the rain for it to like be just entirely like out of like a, a fairy tale, man. It was so magical. Wow. From um from a technical aspect, hey, like. You know, I asked you about the storytelling aspect, but from a technical aspect of actually filming and filmmaking, have you just learned through trial and error or like, did, did you read, read a lot of stuff online? Did you take a course or anything? Yeah. So I think the best thing that you can do is just get a camera and point it at things and then see kind of how it turns out, you know, mm. like mess up the controls, like see what happens and kind of play with it, you know, and like with the resources of today, you have an unlimited amount of resources for learning different kinds of photography and filmmaking, you know, like I, I kind of did that on my own and then kind of thought that I wanted to go to film school. So I like got this uh, full ride scholarship to a film school in LA and I was there uh, for six months. And it was funny cause the, I was coming into the, to the headmaster, the, the principal's office the next day to, to ask for three weeks off of the school. Cause I had this really cool job in, in the middle East. <laughs> and, uh, he said to me before I even told him the idea, he was like, Hey man, I have to talk to you. He's like, you have missed 60% of your classes. <laughs> and 
you either need to decide if you're going to be here, if you're going to be out filming and going on adventures and traveling. And it was kind of like, what are you even asking? That's not even a decision. Right. You know, like, so I think that the traditional way I, I literally felt like I'd learned so little from film school and I know it's more about connecting with the people and trying to perfect the craft, but I feel like with the resources of today, man, it's more about connecting. You can connect with those same people and connect with an audience and a tribe that is so strong without going to the traditional forms of uh, learning, you know, and like with something like this, man, a creative kind of pursuit, any form of storytelling, if it's music or poetry or film, you can really learn just by going out there and telling those stories and kind of failing and failing early, you know, failing really early on and kind of making those mistakes and then learning from them and developing your skills, you know, and like you're asking about the technical perspective. And I honestly like, try to learn the, the techniques. And I spent a lot of time in the beginning, especially learning all the technical elements of filmmaking and photography, but you learn them so that way you can forget about them. You know, you learn them so you can let go of them entirely and focus on the craft and focus on the story itself. Yeah, that's... You don't want to be thinking about aperture or ISO when you're like struggling in the rain and it's like the most magical moment or when it's like you only have three seconds to capture this pivotal scene, you know? You want to be thinking about the vision, you know? Yeah, it's like that comes up more and more on here with guests. Like I, a couple episodes ago, I had a guy who makes pizzas and he's <laughs> quite popular at, at, at making pizza. And I'm like, yeah, like who taught you, right? Who taught you how to be a chef? And he's like, yeah, I taught myself. It's, it's something I grapple with working in education in that like pretty much anything you could want to learn how to do nowadays, you can learn how to do for free. Uh, so why necessarily oh, yeah. rack up the well, student I think it'll loans? it'll be really interesting with, uh, with this, like all this virus and all the, everyone is learning online right now and like kind of seeing the difference of like, you know, the motivation for like those to learn and if, they, if they're ex- interested and excited about the, the, what they're learning, you know? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, again, that's, so, that's another thing I hope comes out yeah. of this is that people have the time to pursue some of these things because what else are you doing? Yeah, no, for sure, man. All I can say in that vein is just you have to give it the time. You know, you have to learn and then fail and then struggle and then, you know, go through that process of learning. And it'll, I mean, you might, you might come out, you know, on top or you might come out on bottom, but, you know, you kind of just go through the process anyways. And it it doesn't always turn out. And sometimes you fail, but, you know, that's how it goes. What was that job in the Middle East that you were going to leave school for? So that's actually kind of a funny story because uh, I I had never had a huge job before for a big client. Uh, I was kind of just really beginning. I had like some mediocre kind of Canon camera and uh, my buddy hits me up and he's like, Hey man, I can't tell you the client. I can't tell you what we're shooting, but if you agree to come to Jordan next week, uh, I know we'll have an epic time. And he's like, I could, I could send you the NDA in in the day, the day before. So I was like, oh man, wild. And I was like, oh yeah, let's go, right? Wow. And, uh, so then that job uh, ended up being for Google and he had already planned everything out. He just needs like an assistant camera on it. But I, I was able to shoot this project for Google Maps in the city of Petra. And we were oh, mapping uh, the entire city, which was so cool because we got unlimited access because the, the queen of Jordan was actually the one who narrated our projects. That's unreal. Yeah, it was cool. And it was like my biggest project I've ever done. It had like 30-something million views on the internet. Wow. Uh, I mean, that's all, dude, like, so you were mentioning your wild man dad. Like, what do your folks think about all this? 
I mean, they're as supportive and loving as can ever be. You That's know? so cool. I remember like they always wanted to push me. And like I, when I bought my first computer, I remember like I was so broke at the time, but I needed a computer to edit photos and videos. And I, I'd been like using my mom's when I was home uh, during the breaks. And she was like, you finally need one. So I, I like went to this mall in Singapore, right? And like the dude, it was like this super sketchy dude, but he was like rebooting old Macs. And uh, I was like, I have 500 bucks now. What can you get me? And he's like, well, you got this super epic computer for 800 bucks. And like, uh, you know, like just my parents were always so supportive. They were always down. Like as long as I did most of the work, they could help me like through that kind of stuff. And like mom, like helped me front that kind of stuff. And like helped me begin the whole process of this, this life and this adventure, you know? That's unbelievable, man. That's really cool. So, yeah, you know, <laughs> you got to be resourceful and like it helps to have people around you who are supportive, you know? So how, um, so. I guess in the meantime, like until the world's back, are, I guess you're just, you're just bumming around in your van? Yeah, man. Well, it's, I, you know, I'm trying to like stay safe and stay quarantined and isolated. So I'm kind of just spending some time in a more centralized zone. I don't have like a physical house, like I said, so it's a little more interesting, but I'm just trying to stay isolated and kind of, while the world, you know, goes through the chaos of this whole virus and just a heavy situation, I'm just trying to stay out here, stay healthy and, you know, yeah. Well, I mean, like, like I said at the outset, um, I've been looking at a lot of stuff lately that's been greatly inspiring me. And so I saw your film and we really loved it. I honestly, like, I didn't know much about you. And, and, you know, I was looking up the director of the film and I was looking up the subjects of the film. And then I saw all this other stuff you had done. And I saw some like unbelievable photos of the places you've been. And I was like, ah, oh, man, I'd love to talk to him. So um, I want to thank you for that inspiration and for like the really amazing stories that you're putting out into the, into the universe and keeping people entertained and educated and, and daydreaming while we're all stuck inside right now. Uh, I, <laughs> yeah, man, for sure. I'd love to send people towards all your stuff and uh, I'll always post that stuff in the show notes so people know where to get it. But let's, you know, plug some of these places where people can see uh, your work. Yeah, I mean, I'm on all the normal social channels. If you just, you know, Google my name, Kyler, it'll come up. And uh, yeah, simple as that, man. Awesome. Yeah. So, you know, you all know this, but if you're listening for the first time, just go to the show notes and you'll see a direct link to all that stuff. Hey man, like, listen, this was really a, a pleasure and a treat for me. It was really, really great to talk to you. Great to make your acquaintance. Yeah, man. And, um, I'm we got to connect, man. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Yeah. I'll, I'll be following along and you know, whatever the next project <laughs> is and, and maybe sometime, uh, we cross paths because, uh, yeah, man, who knows? I'm, uh, planning to be to be leaving again from from normal life for 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 a while so maybe we'll cross paths oh, man. Well, hopefully new york doesn't turn into i am legend eh? <laughs> yeah that's terrifying yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah 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 okay it would be terrifying we're uh we're staying strong over here but yeah maybe i'll see you out there someday awesome. that is a wrap on episode number 149 of the voyages of tim vetter podcast very special thanks to Kyler. That was a really cool conversation. I'm glad that he could join today from the West Coast remotely. Um, yeah, that was really cool. I hope you all enjoyed that and got some inspiration. Please make sure you go to the show notes for this episode where you can find the links to all his stuff. Go watch it while you're in isolation, feel inspired, and then go create something yourself. I'm going to play you out 
with a band that was mentioned in the early goings of this episode. That band is City of the Sun. They are from here in New York City, and they're a really incredible uh, instrumental band. The song is called Barcelona. You also find that name and the band name in the show notes as well. Go check them out once things are up and running again. See them on tour, buy their stuff, and go to Kyler's YouTube page to see uh, the stuff that he's done with them. All right, folks, as always, thank you so much for listening. And please, especially now in these troubled times, please take care of each other. See you next time.